We are looking to empower current and former foster youth. Unbelievably resilient. The next generation of great foster youth. And now, season two of the You Are Foster Strong podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Foster Strong podcast. We are so excited to have you back and listening with us. Uh, This is Carrie over in D.C., and next to me on the mic, I have... Yours truly, Adrian, is back in the saddle. Happy to be with you, Carrie. This is It's been a while since you and I hosted a show together. I know. It feels like it's been decades, so it's it's good to be back. We have the East Coast crew representing, and we have a really exciting guest with us today who has a pretty impressive resume, if I do say so myself. Yeah, I'm a little jealous, envious even, <laughs> but extremely proud. Definitely great to have a brother in foster care who has really just excelled, succeeded, and uh, really shown resilience through it all. So we have with us today Mr. Joshua Jones, who is a PE teacher, a high school basketball coach for women's basketball. He is also, as of last night, a published author of a children's book. Welcome, 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 Joshua Jones. I think you have to tell us, too, what the name of that book is. Yes. Thanks, Carrie and Adrian. I appreciate it. It's actually called Mikey's Epic Venture. Um so yeah, it'll be coming soon. Hardcover, Kindle, wherever you get your books at, it'll be there. So, no, you can't do that, man. You cannot come into the show with that with that flatline description of your book. You are a published author, sir. <laughs> I know. What guys, is the book is about? Hype the book up so our listeners can go out there and get the book. It's on presale right now as well. It is. It is on presale on Amazon. It, it absolutely is. So so thank you for that that plug. I appreciate it. Yeah, but what's the book about, man? Like our listeners want to know. You 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 just you keep skipping over that part. What's the book about? Okay, so so since this is Foster Strong, actually, uh, I have a. It's my brother. So my mom had four boys, and she had me at the age of fourteen. So kind of just going a little into my story. My brother Mikey was born um, when I was four years old, and he passed away when I was eight. And it's kind of just a legacy piece that I kind of put together, kind of realistic nonfiction, uh, tying in my family's story. Uh, a little bit with my business ventures and kind of a mentoring aspect. So he's kind of the kid who starts his own shaved ice company. And I'm kind of the coach in that book that mentors him and encourages him to persevere uh, with all the naysayers kind of talking down about he can't succeed uh, in a small town. And so so, so it's actually going to be a pretty good read uh, anywhere from like, I'd say first grade up to seventh graders would probably uh, enjoy that because I put some business words in there and stuff to keep them interested. So yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I can't wait to read it. Very beautiful. And the fact that you were just going to let that slide by and not (laughs) share that amazing (laughs) synopsis of what the book is. I think it's going to be very helpful for our listeners out there as well as uh, associates of our listeners out there. Sounds like a really great book. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yeah. Love that legacy piece too. So you touched a little bit that you have um, a brother. Tell us more about yourself, your story, how you ended up in foster care. Let's sort of just dive in there. Well, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I grew up in Pensacola, Florida. For those that don't know, uh, it's just a joke I have running is I tell people I'm from L.A. I just say lower Alabama because that's literally what it is. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, oh, I'm from L.A. too. What part? I'm like, no, like I'm lower Alabama, not that L.A. But uh, because it's really not Florida. When I moved to Orlando, I really got a 
you know, piece of what Florida was like. But when you're from Pensacola, Milton area, in the panhandle, it's really um, decades behind, I would say, you know, from a diversity standpoint. And so my mm-hmm. mom actually, uh, she got pregnant at, at like 14 years old. And um, I was born and her mother, my mom's white and my dad's black. So I'm, I'm biracial. And so she, long story short, she got kicked out of the house when they found out she was pregnant. Obviously at 14, that's just a shocker. Back, way back in 1988, kind of aging myself. But um, <laughs> so she was forced to kind of, you know, make ends meet however she could. My dad obviously didn't have a high school education. Neither did she. They both were dropouts. So they were kind of just forced to live off the streets and... My father was involved in drug activity. He was abusive. And so two years later, um, fast forwarding to 1990, my, my, my brother, DeMichael, was born. And my dad was abusive to her, and he didn't want to have another child. So he actually tried to force um, a miscarriage, uh, unfortunately. And, uh, I mean, I have vivid memories of my mom telling me stories about stuff that I won't go into. I'm just like, holy cow. Like, and so then, like, whenever I was about four, Mikey was born. Um, and so now she with a different dad, not the same dad. And then that's when she kind of got introduced to drugs and started her, her life kind of went a little downhill from there. And, and that's when foster care kind of we got you know taken away. But at the time it was called HRS. Um, and then now obviously we know it as a Department of Children and Families. So yeah, wow, wow, wow! I know that's a lot. That's a lot to open on, but it's okay. I'm hopefully you know my whole goal is inspire somebody who maybe needs to hear this, and is actually why you guys do what you do. So I just think it's amazing uh, that I could use this platform to share. Definitely, and and we're so glad that you're here, and thank you for sharing all of that. I was wondering if we could explore a little bit more this piece of relationships okay. and romantic relationships and hear more about your mom. And, and you just shared that she was pregnant at 14, which, whoa, yeah, wow. I know. That is a, a lot to carry at 14 years old. Yeah, I mean, so my father, like, uh, he, I know who he is. He still lives actually in my hometown. He's more like a friend than a, than a father. Um, uh, a lot of, you know, my teammates and stuff, sports was kind of like that balancing factor that kind of got me out of that situation, is, which is why I love coaching and giving back so much. Um, but I think the faith and the bond of sports is what got me there. So as far as romantic relationships, when it goes to my mom, I don't really remember seeing them to interact on that level. So I didn't really know what a husband and a wife uh, kind of looked like because I bounced around the foster care system. My placements were group homes and then I would be um, with, you know, a foster uh, foster family, uh, a guy that wasn't married who had another foster kid. Then I'd go back to like relative placement and, you know, and there's all these generational curses like within my family. So that wasn't necessarily healthy, even though there was a husband and a wife, it was not great. And so I think it's had a, an effect on me even now as a, as a man to, I've had to relearn what, what a romantic relationship even means and kind of sit back and I'm a father and I'm a great father and I'm very present in my daughter's life. And um, so, so seeing my mom, I haven't really seen it actually until uh, about 1999, I was in fifth grade. She uh, got married for the first time. Uh, to my last brother, so my mom had four boys. Um, uh, she got married to to Tommy uh, Senior, and my brother Tommy Junior was born. So I was so proud of him. I never forget. I was in fifth grade when he was born, 
and they made a big announcement like over the intercom like hey you know josh's brother was born on march 3rd and you know today let's give a round of applause it was like a super cool moment and i and i was like so proud and um so those few like formative years of like from fifth to like seventh grade sixth seventh grade i actually felt like a like a family unit and i seen their romantic relationship my mom was clean she was doing well she was working and then um it kind of took another uh downhill dive and then Tommy ended up going with his dad, then me and my other brother went back into foster care, and then the system, the the cycle kind of continued until I aged out. So, when you talk about the relationships that you witnessed or the lack thereof that you witnessed when you were younger, uh, you talk about the impact that that had on you as you became a father. What were some of the thoughts or some of the feelings that came back? Yeah. Um, as you entered into relationships and then subsequently when you became a father, um, how did that impact the relationship that you have uh, with the mother of your daughter mm-hmm. uh, as you know, witnessed by what you saw during those formative years or even what you didn't see when you were in those different homes uh, or institutions? Right. Uh, good question. So the, the biggest thing that um, I kind of came to mind was uh, I, I'm going to live my life. I know it sounds bad, but I'm gonna live my life to not to be not what my parents were. Like I'm gonna try my hardest to bust my butt to not um, repeat this cycle. Like I'm gonna be the change agent in our family, and uh, whatever it takes to do it, I'm gonna do it. And and I know I keep going back to sports, but like being a part of a team meant something to me, and I like learned a lot from my teammates. So like when I would go, I was really good at baseball, actually. Like like all star teams, travel ball, and I couldn't afford it because I was in foster care or whatever reason. So my teammates' families would, like, come together and, like, made sure I had the materials I needed to go play, like, a glove, a bat, to be on the travel team. And I would stay the night at their houses, and they would drive me to the games, and I would sleep literally, like, in a nice made-up bed and eat dinner at a table. And, like, these things, like, still to this day, like, mean a lot to me that I want to provide one day for my daughter because I am a single father. Um... And I do provide it, but from a romantic standpoint, that piece is missing. And it's very ironic that I had no idea we were going to be talking about that. But it, it's something that I, I, I cherish. And um, the lack of it, it did scar me in a way because I think I'm afraid to enter into a romantic relationship because I'm so focused on being a great father for my daughter. Um, maybe I guilt trip myself into I can't focus on a woman that I know God is going to provide for me soon and one day, hopefully. But I'm such a I'm so all in on Kalia. That's my daughter's name that I uh, I have to just, you know, just zoom out and just look at the bigger picture and say, OK, one step at a time. And I know there are some scars and baggage that like, you know, alluding to back to your question of things that I've seen and things that I didn't see. Um, and, and I don't know if I'm ready for that. I guess I'll um, have to give an update on that. Maybe I write another book about, about that. <laughs> well, shout out to Kalia though. Um, yeah. um, She's awesome. You. Your dad is, has been a great host so far. A uh, quick follow-up um, question for you. Um, and I know this from my own personal experience as I began to enter the dating world when I was in high school. And one of the things that has always struck, uh, stuck out to me and continues to this day is um uh, not having that parental figure to bounce these type of milestones in your life off of. So in father figure, in my case, you know, my dad uh, passed away um, when I was in high school. And so as I was going through those different relationship trials, one of the things that always stuck out to me is I really don't have that older male influence or that dad figure or parental figure um, that I could talk to these things 
about. Um, and I wondered, has that ever crossed your mind about what you like? I know you said that your uh, biological dad still lives in your community or you, you might not have the closest relationships, but yeah. did that ever, you know, weigh on your mind or kind of play a factor in it? Even to the, to this day in terms of, you know, after you, you know, decide to open up, if you do in terms yeah. of seeking uh, to get into a relationship of, of what that looks like and who to bounce ideas off of and thoughts off of, and just, you know, yeah, talk to I think, you know, going up, um, in a minority community, I think we're taught to, as a black male, because I kind of had to bounce off of both sides, right? Like younger years, I was kind of more in tune with my, uh, my mom's side of the family. And then as you know, I kind of got older and started playing sports, I, tr- I transitioned from baseball to basketball. And then that kind of took on a whole different demographic of friends. And I would always get into fights because I was either not black enough or not white enough. It was kind of ironic. And so I'm kind of like a chameleon these days. So I don't really see race. I just see you know, friends. And so being in friends' weddings, like we're at the age where people are getting married. And so going to your, your question, you know, I, when I'm at weddings is when I really think about this. It's really weird. Like if I'm the best man at a wedding or I'm a groomsman, I'm like, man, like I yearn for that that relationship, like seeing the father, you know, and, you know, walk down the aisle and the, and the mother and the first dance. Like I literally break out in tears in these type of, um, you know, scenarios and settings. Like, wow, like, I really want that. And I know I miss that. Like, I, something in me is missing. Like, and, and I can see that whenever I'm in those type of settings, or when I'm watching certain movies, and I'm like, man, but it's so um, therapeutic at the same time, you know, like, I kind of just pause for a minute. I'm like, thank you, God, that you even got me this far that I, I want that because I could be wanting a whole bunch of other things, you know. And so anyway, from a romantic uh, standpoint, uh, I definitely know I missed out on that. Um, but uh, the the future is going to be so bright, and I'm I'm just excited to uh, um, go down that path whenever the time's right. But having that male well, fa- that I male love- father figure or or whatever to bounce ideas off of is something that I knew I missed. I lacked. Um, I was always a little more mature for my age, um, but I was also a late bloomer when it comes to like dating. So you know, everybody when we're young, we brag about all oh, these girlfriends and this and that. But I really didn't talk about um, that kind of stuff, and I I, I kind of just. Um, kept to myself and uh, not having, being the oldest, I was forced to grow up so fast with my two younger brothers that I didn't really have time to uh, waste, I guess, in a way of, of like, mm. you know, chasing. I never was one to just chase. I would kind of be like, oh, I kind of like her. Like, she's my friend, but I want it to organically happen. I didn't really have game, so to speak. You know, people like, oh, he never, <laughs> like, I never really had game. I, I mean, I'm not afraid to say that. I, I kind of just was like, if it organically happens, it happens. And um, obviously now being a praying man and, and a man of faith, like obviously I know that that's something that, um, you know, God created, you know, a man and a woman. So a uh, helpmate. So anyway, uh, it would be well, great well, to have those conversations. There, one, we don't believe you that you didn't have game. Um, <laughs> two, there, there's so much to touch on uh, that you said too and I think a few things one I'm just amazed by your level of self-awareness and your ability to step back and say you know I realized how much generational trauma has been in my family and the broken relationships that I witnessed growing up and I know I want more and that that we're all doing our own work to have that more and to have that relationship that maybe we didn't see um, from our parents and I feel like that piece 
where you talked about sports and teammates and interacting with your teammates' families is so relevant because I, I certainly feel looking back on, on being a, a young kid, that was one of the most beautiful pieces of my experience is that I wasn't at home every night for dinner, but I was able to jump around to all these different houses yeah. and see and experience different cultures of love and what love and marriage looks like for different families. And so I feel like for us as um, former foster youth, there's a piece where you can either say like, I don't want marriage because I have seen broken marriages or I've seen broken relationships. So I don't want anything to do with that. Or there's a piece of that of us that is like, no, I can see what it can be. And I can see that you can create something more and I can work towards that and build a beautiful relationship um, and really be that change agent in my family history, even if there is broken relationships. And so I, I was wondering if you could speak to what you shared with us ahead of recording on your um, the mother of, of your daughter's family sort of questioning your family background. Yeah. And, and that's something we hear often is that you should be with someone who comes from a good background and look for a partner who has a good family. But what does that mean for those of us who have experienced foster care? Yeah. Wow, that's that's deep. I mean, there's, there's so many levels of... Um, like trauma that I could, you know, go into. And and I think the biggest thing for me with that relationship with with her mom was um, I didn't know how to fully allow myself to be vulnerable uh, in in those college years because that was kind of like a whole new world for me. Like I didn't even know um, kind of a a story because her, her, my daughter's mom, she's from Puerto Rico, like she's Puerto Rican. And being being in Pensacola, as I mentioned, it's not a very diverse area. And um, sadly, I thought that all Hispanics were Mexican. I did not know there was. <laughs> <laughs> I came down to UCF. Let me tell you, I came to Orlando offending people left and right. I'm like, oh, yeah, man, I met this Mexican girl in my, in my Spanish class. Oh, like, man. oh, I'm, I'm in comp one. Like, oh, yeah, this Mexican girl. And it's like. Boy, if you ever call me Mexican, Mexican again, no offense to Mexicans. I love all my people. <laughs> but it was just one of those things where I didn't know about Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Cubans. I mean, I literally was so, like, sheltered, like, being where Haitians. I'm from. Yeah. It was, it was <laughs> Haitian, exactly. Like, shout out to the Zoes. Like, I didn't know about none of that. Like, I didn't even know what a fraternity or a sorority was, like, just being real. And so, I mean, that's a whole nother, um, you know, avenue. That's another episode. But... Um, I, I, I yearned for like, I yearned for that brotherhood. Like I, I, I liked what they stood for. So going back to, you know, learning from the romantic side of her family, like I, I didn't know about cultural norms in their household. I didn't know how important just, let's just go with the name of like a hyphenated name in a Hispanic culture. I didn't know these things. And so, um, also like our relationship was, was predicated in, you know, basically, upon I wanted to know more about a fraternity and she happened to be a part of the one of the affiliates on the on the women's side of that fraternity and so you know I was like so excited to just learn and have somebody that wanted to like teach me and we became more than friends and then obviously uh, here we are today and um and and so once I got to know her family once we found out we were going to be having a child um I was just offending people Uh, and then at the same time on the on the flip side uh, I brought her to my hometown um, and got introduced her to my family and stuff. And I guess upon returning back, she kind of seen the lifestyle where I came from and she kind of already knew, but to actually see it is another thing. And I think once her family kind of got a little, you know, feedback from her, 
they were like kind of what you alluded to earlier. You know, you, you're supposed to marry someone that can provide for you and somebody that's going to um, move you out of our house. And that's a big thing in Hispanic culture is like getting them out of the house. And uh, I didn't know all I didn't know any of these things. And so um, here I am now. I'm like in fight or flight mode. I'm like, whoa, like this is me. And so now we can't even move forward in a relationship like romantically. So now we got to move forward in a co-parenting relationship which uh, amicably, I, I think we did an amazing job. I'm going to pat both of us on the back, even though, you know, um, she's a great I mother. Love, uh, I love my that. daughter is so blessed. Like, she's so blessed to have, uh, you know, two parents, now three parents who care about her because uh, she recently was married, like, in October. Um, so her stepfather's amazing as well. Like, and, and I'm man enough to, and like, and I'm in tune enough in, in myself to actually say that. Like, I prayed for her future husband because I knew at, at some point we weren't going to work out. And so I had to move on past that. And some people hang around for the kids and they'll lie and they'll cheat and they'll do all these things to just just make just keep it like, uh, you know, like in, in good graces. But I kind of went the, against the grain, which I've done pretty much my whole life. And I kind of faced it head on. I'm like, I don't care that you guys don't like my family and my background. Um, yes, I don't want to marry your daughter right now, given these circumstances. But that's something we can work towards. But obviously, you know, you've kind of already like, you know, moved me out of the way like. So um, romantically, it, it was tough um, to go down at that path. And we still tried and, and, and prayed and went to counseling and still nothing, nothing came of that. Um, and everything happens for a reason. I want you to know about the work that I get to do at Institute for Family. I'm Isaiah. And at the Institute, we believe that families are the foundation for healthy children and even stronger communities. You see, family voice is key to figuring out what we can do differently to ensure that families have the supports that they actually need to thrive. And that's why we are handing over the mic to families and we are turning up the volume because their stories matter. And when we listen, we learn and are inspired to act. We are acting alongside families for families. And I want you to walk alongside families with us. You can subscribe to our email list at instituteforfamily.org. That's instituteforfamily.org. To tune into incredible family stories, learn with us from their firsthand expertise and help us imagine something more for families. You are so super self-aware. It's incredible. Yeah. And, um, and what a, what a great example for other young men out there. I will have a follow-up question for you on this, this piece of owning your background and your family story and, um, and, and dating and what that looks like when you are looking to be in a romantic relationship and maybe you're going on first dates and, some of those really icebreaker questions are, tell me about your family. Have you ever hesitated? I, I certainly have to be like, oh, is it too soon to share that my family is, 
shambles and I was in foster care and, and, and that there's this the trauma state. history. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> when do I disclose that and how do I, you know? And so I'm wondering, yeah. one, if you've ever felt that and if you relate, and two, what is your advice for other people who may be struggling um, and, and feeling like either they have to keep it hidden or they're just unsure of, of how to know when to share those type of things? I think things. I'm the last person to give dating advice, but I'll try. Um, <laughs> but no, um, but yes, like in those qualifying questions, like I think I'm the, I'm the worst. I think I run people off because, <laughs> because as you can see on this episode, I'm just like an open book. Like I really, I don't hold back. Like if I Man. like something, like I'm going for it. You know what I mean? And, but then I, I, someone asked me this recently, actually, I, I met someone in the airport. I was flying back from uh, Vegas for an AAU basketball tournament. And uh, we kind of got to talk and we found out we were Aries and then, you know, and then we like exchanged information and we talked like on social media and she was like, hey, are you like all other Aries? Do you, um, what'd she say? She's like, do you uh, get interest? Do you lose interest quickly? I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what does that even mean? I was like, I just met you. No, like, I'm still interested, kind of. Typical like, Aries. But it's just so funny that the world that we're in these days, it's so hard to just going back to what I really said, like I'm from a small town, like I'm very old school and genuine, like going, alluding to my joke about not having game. Like I literally am, I'm like old school when it comes to that. So, um, that is the game though. That's right. the, that's the game that you gotta, you gotta stay in that lane. Cause that's your lane that you fit in. Uh, right. but that's, that's, we can talk more offline about that. Yeah. Well, we, we definitely will. <laughs> I'm gonna hit you up. I'm gonna hit you up. But for sure, because it's like, it's tough because these days people want to look at your Instagram and, and see what you're doing and, and how much swag you got and, and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I'm not interested in those things. Like, let's talk about something that's meaningful. Let's talk about, you know, what you're doing, like, you know, to change the world or to make an impact at least. And those are the kind of things I get excited about. And so it's really tough in, in a dating world and, and with social media, I would say, because um, it's just a little snippet. Everybody posts their highlights. Nobody really posts like the negative, right? Nobody posts like, oh, I lost my job today. You don't go bragging about that and like post it. I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's super challenging. Um, the advice I would give to like someone who's maybe afraid to share their story and, and, and kind of be out there um, is at the end of the day, you just have to be transparent. Um, and transparency, I, at the end of the day, I feel like it's so important. I hate lying or trying to make something up or kind of sugarcoating stuff because one, you have to remember like what you lied about and it's like, there's no point in that. But but two, um, at the end of the day, all you have is like your word, you know? And, and, and so sharing those things I've never tried to hide it, but but listening to this podcast and, and meeting people um, like Candace and stuff like that are out there like facing it and you guys facing your our stories of being in foster care like head on and watching like the movie we talked about before the show. And like those are all things lately that's been like a, a theme of like I need to speak up more about my 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 foster care journey because because I've had so much success in the sports arena and the mentoring and coaching, I kind of like brush my foster care story under the rug a little bit. And I'm like, no, like this needs to be said. So the advice I would say is, um, you know, the uh, scars tell like the best stories, you know, so we've all been scarred. And so I can look back and, and laugh at some of my foster care stories and group home stories. And there's some bad ones. But um, at the end of the day, um, if, if you don't tell your story, then you kind of harness it. And then that pain is going to come out unhealthily, whether it's through um, you know, all these different avenues that you can go down. And I just chose to 
um, let them out and, and through sports. And that's really what saved me, honestly. And so um, I don't ever hold back my story. I don't. If someone asks and they want to know, I'll tell them whatever they want to hear. And um, hopefully don't run them off. But I'm single right now, so we'll see. <laughs> Man, that, there's this quote that your child, if you don't deal with your childhood wounds, your romantic relationships will. Mm-hmm. Um, That's actually and I, and I, Adrian, I want to hear your piece of advice and I'll share mine briefly yeah. that I think share. I love what you said too, Josh, about sharing our stories and just being open. I also think that people who have been in foster care and people who have seen broken relationships know the importance of working on your ish in relationships um, and almost are more driven to have that resolution and have hard conversations and and really put in the muscle um, behind a healthy, long-lasting relationship. Um, but Adrian, I, I'm I'm curious to hear what your yeah, advice Josh, you dropped a lot of nuggets today. I don't know if you did or not. Uh, especially when you were talking about um, being at weddings and having those feelings. Uh, we did an episode last week about mental health, and okay. one of the things that we talked about was feeling those feelings when you feel them, uh, and talking about how. As you go through the journey, if you've experienced foster care, you never really heal. You just cope. Um, and so Ooh, you good. can be triggered by anything. For example, being at a wedding and thinking about, you know, I wish I had my mom or my dad here. So like the, between like that aspect of it, some of the other stuff about, you know, being old fashioned uh, uh, and uh um, being old fashioned in the way that you approach things and, and growing up too fast uh, because of you're the, you're uh, the oldest brother. Foster care pre- presents a very unique ability when it comes to dating, when it comes to relationships, whether they be romantic or otherwise, because you become extremely mature in many aspects of a relationship, romantic or otherwise. You, you see things from multiple perspectives. You can often, uh, oftentimes empathize what your partner may or may not be going through only because you have so much to draw from because you have so many different realms uh, of experiences. And then the other part, foster care doesn't do a good job of is it doesn't give you a lot of stability to bounce those experiences off of in terms of having a stable parental uh, family or uh, things like that to deal with dating uh, and relationships and when those breakups happen or when those success successes happen or when those milestones happen so in one aspect you're extremely mature when it comes to relationships and in other aspects you're extremely immature in certain aspects of it and so uh, my advice uh, to our listeners out there is listen to this episode again and listen to some of the things that Josh mentioned, because even though Josh, you said you're still trying to figure it out and you're not the best person to ask for advice. You actually said a lot of stuff that a lot of our listeners out there are experiencing, have experienced or will experience. Um, and then the other aspect for me personally is to be yourself um, and people will adjust um, that. It sounds so cliche. It's said a lot, but it's actually true because if you are yourself and you are transparent, as you talked about, and you are honest, with, are honest with yourself and you are honest with the person that you're trying to get to know and hopefully spark a relationship with, then they are either going to accept you for you or they are going to adjust and leave or not. Because oftentimes, if you present yourself and we talk about presenting our best selves on social media, we oftentimes try to present our best selves too in relationships at the beginning. So when you present your best self with the relationship and those things slowly deteriorate and you actually come down off the honeymoon phase or, you know, the high phase of, you know, all everything's going well and all the dates yeah. are fantastic. All the trips are fantastic. You find out, you know, the quirks and the nuances, then it gets a little tricky. So if you're that, if you're like Josh, as you said, you know, at the beginning and you're the same person and consistent, then that person is actually, you know, this is who I actually like. This is who I'm actually interested in. And I think you'll, you'll be just fine. So that's my Dr. Phil advice uh, for our listeners out there. <laughs> that's awesome. 
So let's pivot for a minute because you did talk a lot about sports and it's such an important piece of your life. I mean, you've, you've got day and night sports and um, clearly you have spoken how much it's shaped you as a human. So can you speak to some of the, the most important sports moments for you and how it has impacted you? Yeah, absolutely. I think the reason why I keep uh, alluding back to sports is because I mentioned a little bit about my mom's history and, and, and struggles with just substance abuse and my father, you know, with alcoholism and just the long list of people in my family who have um, struggled with with those types of issues. Uh, I personally um, still to this day have never used uh, any any type of drugs or smoked anything in my life. Um, and and I think sports has been my anti-drug, right? Like, and by the way, like it's, tw- it's 2021. Let me just go on record. I'm not against, um, you know, natural things. I've just never tried it. In it. <laughs> if, if that's something, if that's something that, if that's Way something that you do. Way to slide in there, coach. Good job, coach. Good job. No judgment zone. If that's something that you do, kudos to you. Because when I moved to Orlando, my, my roommates were the biggest potheads on the planet. And they still got degrees. And so I was around <laughs> it. And obviously, people around me sold it and did those things. But I've never, uh, yeah, I've just never been tempted by it because I've seen what it did to my family, right? And so sports was kind of my outlet to where that was my anti-drug. Like if I needed to work on a skill or I wanted to go for a run, like that was my, um, that was kind of my zen moments of like just being out there on the court or on the field or going for a run. Um, I never really got into weightlifting that much, just, um, but but a lot of people, that's what they do. They go to the gym and they just pump it out and they're just in that zone. But I mean, you know, I train and I and I do a lot of different sports. I'm willing to try stuff and and then also the the part of just the the aspect that I alluded to was the brotherhood aspect of your teammates, right? And then the coaches are kind of like father figures, you know. Um, these days, you know, it's kind of a little tougher because there's so many laws and boundaries and these things. But back then, you know, a coach like carried weight like when we were growing up like in the household a coach was like did you listen to your coach nowadays coaches they getting like thrown under the bus and i kind of see it on both sides because parents have so much power nowadays like with administrators so anyway i can go on a whole tangent about that because that's the field i work in but um i think that that honestly sports uh it's mesmerizing uh, there's race doesn't matter in sports, uh, as you can see right now with the Olympic Games going on currently all across the globe, uh, not just here in our country. Right. Um, athletes are being recognized for their accomplishments and the things that they have sacrificed. They've missed weddings. They've missed important things in their life. And they've had to grow up fast, essentially, you know, similar to the things we talked about being in foster care to be an Olympian. Like you have to miss some stuff. You have to make sacrifices in um and that's what I've chose to do. Like I chose to miss certain things and just dedicate my life to sports and, and giving back. And so it's it's really allowed me to to be uh, optimistic, uh, to to learn how to fail, to learn how to succeed well, and to keep my emotions consistent. Um, I never let my highs get too high. I never let my lows get too low. One of my coaches always told me that, and I still to this day I even use that in my coaching philosophy. Um, and, and and at the end of the day. Um, a big sports moment for me was uh, I started a nonprofit uh, in college. It was called Team Buckets Foundation. It still exists today where I mentor kids. And um, there was a lockout season in 2011. I was working for the Magic and uh, as a dragon keeper. You guys know like the mascot for the Orlando Magic? He's like a dragon. We do now. A yeah. dragon? Okay, his name's Stuff. So I actually was like his 
eyes and ears like that was my job and I actually got paid to do that and I'm like what like I get paid to do this I can sit courtside I get to eat with the players and their families so all that to say I played against Dwight Howard in high school um, and he remembered me like fast forwarding to 2011 and we had this big event um, during a lockout at UCF because I was at UCF at the time we ran out like the arena like Floyd Mayweather and Little Wayne were like the coaches all these old magic players came in and people are looking at me like, yo, Josh, like, how did you pull this off? I'm like, hey, man, honestly, like, I just played against the white. And he remembered me and, like, we just got cool. We went bowling together a lot. He helped out a lot of my people. So that was, like, a really cool, like, s- sports story that it brought out an entire community who was missing the sport of basketball because what an NBA lockout is, basically players and owners can't come to an agreement on their contracts. Right. So it delayed the start of the season. And so Dwight and I were talking. I was actually visiting my brother and my mom, who were both in prison at the time, up in the Ocala area with a friend. I drove down. It was around, um, you know, came down, did a, another event with him, like fast forwarding, like around Memorial Day. So there's just been so many sports moments that I can look back and like a community came together around a sport and they were missing it. And so even with COVID, right? Like think about the pandemic, like sports were wiped out and people didn't have things to relate or like come together. So um, I could go on about sports. As you see, I get so passionate about it, but it's definitely shaped me. um, And and I will say, I could even go as far as to say, is it saved my life? And I know someone out there listening could probably uh, relate to that as well. Um, And so I'm super thankful for that. Yeah, and I think this conversation is particularly relevant as the world looks to the Olympics and what's happening with Simone Biles and certainly timely for us because last episode was all about mental, mental health. health. Yeah, absolutely. And and now we're seeing the pressure on athletes and I think particularly with Simone, who we adore at Foster Strong, um, that she really has a history that the odds are, have been stacked against her. Absolutely. You know, she was in foster care. She experienced sexual assault by somebody who should have been trusted in her sports circle. Um, and still she's been able to persevere and be so resilient. And in a moment where she prioritized her mental health, how dare anyone come back at her and criticize and then, that? I, I'd love to hear your no, thoughts. And then, well, before that, I'm sorry, Go ahead. Carrie, but before that came back, and right. won a, and won a bronze medal uh, to finish out her career. Simone, or not career, but possibly her last Olympics. Um, so Simone Biles is the goat when it comes. I was just gonna. To, you took the words out of my yeah, mouth. She She's is, literally the she, goat. She like. is literally the goat when she prioritized her mental health, took a break, and then came back. And so you know what? I actually do this event and still won a medal. And, and exactly. So, yeah, she, she and not only that, when she when she bowed out, she still came back out and supported her teammates. Correct. Which you know, like she could have been throwing, throwing her own pity party. She was there smiling, you know, taking her mask off and cheering and then putting it back on. And just like just seeing her, her energy was it, it was it was truly um, captivating for, for everyone watching. And I think the people who are writing to get a story, I think they kind of essentially like, you know, were like, wow, I think I spoke too soon for her to come back and, and, and be elevated at the level that she did. It's almost like the, the coolest way to kind of like drop the mic, you know. And It's funny that you mentioned that, Josh, because uh, yeah. what, is it Jovac Nokovic, whatever it was, he had came out and criticized her for yep. you know the way that she performed. He ended up losing and literally had a meltdown on the court. Like he broke a tennis racket and, and mental, everything. Like yes. so it was just very yes. funny of how he could talk about someone's mental health and composure and competing. And then as soon as he loses, he literally just, you know, 
you know, there's some choice words I can use, but he had a meltdown uh, on the tennis court. Uh, but speaking of resiliency uh, and because of, you know, being mindful of the clock, because we could do like two or three episodes here, is what does resiliency mean to you? That's one of the things that we typically love to ask our guests who are on the show. What does being resilient mean to you? Um, I think uh, resiliency for me means going from uh, failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. So like, you know, like we've all heard the cliche saying of like fall down seven times, stand up eight. That's what it is for me. It's just going from failure to failure because I, I don't really fail. I either run out of time or it's a lesson. Like that's the way I kind of look at it. So so going from those, you know, mishaps or whatever you want to call it in any realm, whether it's sports or life or business or whatever, like I've kept the same enthusiasm of knowing like, OK, maybe not this time, but but check ball essentially, or let's, let's do it again. Let's run it back. Like those kind of like athletic, you know, things that have taught me to like, Hey, you lose. That's okay. Take it on the chin, get back up. Like, and so, um, that's what resiliency would mean to me. Awesome. Yeah. Carrie, any final thoughts before we let Josh go? I think your story is incredible. I think you really are making a difference out there, Josh, especially for the kids that you work with day to day. Um, you know, I, I, look back and coaches made a huge difference in my own journey. And when I wasn't getting life and encouragement spoke into me at home, uh, I was able to find that through coaches. And so I, I think just thank you for sharing such an incredible story with us and with our listeners. And, um, hopefully you've inspired some kid out there to enroll in baseball or basketball or gymnastics, whatever it is. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't have an athletic bone in my body. I went to <laughs> politics route. So I, but I do recognize <laughs> the importance of coaches, but, uh, thank you, Josh, uh, for our listeners out there. If you want to keep up with coach, please follow him on Instagram at coach JJ Is that right? That's correct. Coach JJ22. Josh, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to this episode of Foster Foster Strong. Please, please, please follow us on all of our social media platforms at YouAreFosterStrong. And we'll see you next time on another episode of You Are Foster Strong. Check us out on Instagram at YouAreFosterStrong. And stay tuned with all the great things that we're doing on our website at YouAreFosterStrong.org. And remember, you are unbelievably resilient. Your story matters.